You're listening to Unpaused, a podcast for women who want to stage a career comeback or mastermind a new one after an extended break from work. I'm your host, Judy Stewart, and if you want to reclaim your career but don't know how, then this is the podcast for you. Let's meet our guest for today. Jodie Gibbons is one of the founders of Asara Partners, a corporate coaching consultancy based in London, whose clients across Europe and Asia include Barclays, Danone, Morgan Stanley and Yves Saint Laurent, to name just a few. After a 20-year career in communications and marketing, Jodie's switch to executive coaching was an ambitious but logical step. Central to her philosophy is the belief that a human can alter her life by altering her attitude. She has an unwavering sense of self-belief, the legacy of her mother, Helly, whose guiding principle then and now is seize the day. All I can say is that in Jodie, that message fell on fertile ground. Jodie stresses in this interview how she encourages her clients to identify the value they bring to an organisation when they're reframing their back-to-work strategy. Everything that gives them energy. She's interested in them harnessing the experiences of a whole career, not just the last job. Let's hear from Jodie herself. Sarah Partners is first and foremost an executive coaching and consulting firm. Mm. We have three levels of what we do the where we use coaching to unlock performance. So we do one-to-one coaching, we do team coaching to build high-performance teams, and then we do um, transformational programs. So that could be leadership development, it could be cultural change, um, but all of it is based on the principle of unlocking the potential in people using coaching. And the executive coaching that we do draws on three clinical or professional areas, psychology, neuroscience and leadership insights. Um, And we bring those three things together to help people be the best version of themselves. And Jodie, what do you think it is that sets that business apart? Because obviously there are a lot of executive coaches out there. Why, Why would people come to you rather than to someone else? I think that there's a couple of things. So first of all, we've been really careful in bringing in people with exceptional business backgrounds. So I think executive coaching has grown exponentially in the last 10 or 15 years, point where all organisations, big and small, recognise that if an elite athlete needs a coach to be the best, so does an executive. Mm. All of our coaches have a postgraduate master's level certificate, but they all come from very successful business backgrounds, they've been leaders, they've managed big P&Ls. And I think that that helps because that's where they can add a huge amount of rigour and uh, robustness and credibility to, to what we do. So I think people love the CVs. I think then the other thing is just the the values that Nat and I have set the company up around and they really, it was really for me, a culmination of a 20-year career and saying, okay, what's really worked for me in business? And there are five core things that are my business philosophy and my personal values. So authenticity, mm-hmm. be yourself, Oscar Wilde said, everyone else is taken. And, and frankly, it's just exhausting not being yourself. Yeah. Curiosity, it's the only way that we stay relevant 
to the next generation, to the dynamic workplace. And it's the only way that we keep growing. And if we're not growing, we're dead. Yeah. Might as well be. Gratitude. Um, so this is was a profound thing for me when I studied Transcendental Meditation uh, a few years ago. And I just really realized the power of just really simply being grateful for what we've got and the fact that we spend so much time worrying about what we're trying to get in the future, but just grounding yourself and being grateful builds your resilience, brings energy into the room. And, and, you know, this whole thing of companies trying to create mindfulness at work and all of that with Mm. meditation rooms and all this stuff, it's all crap. It doesn't work because everyone's so busy. But if you can just simply be in the moment and just think, wow, that was a great meeting. God, I really, I was really good in that. Just those very simple moments, hugely important, hugely what is going to build resilience, I think, of the next generation. Mm. Generosity, for me, generosity has been the biggest driver of success. And it also gives me energy. You know, I get energy from giving to other people. Mm. And then my last one is rigor. Mm. Um, And for me, rigor is about having the focus to know what you're going to do and then do it well. We hang on to this baggage of to-do lists with stuff kind of hanging around the bottom and we beat ourselves up over it. And it just means we become average at everything. But you've just got to really pick your, pick your battles because there's just so much out there. So this mm. rigor to me is really important. So they're my big five, the gratitude, generosity and rigor. If you look back on your career, you're here now and you started Asara two years ago. You're in London, you're in Germany, you're in Singapore, you're in Paris. So you've obviously had a huge amount of growth in a very short time. And that's on your own terms. This is your business. You've worked for a whole lot of other people, but now it's your turn. You're you're applying the lessons you've learned. If you look back on your career, what would you say were the turning points? What were the breaks you got? Is there any one thing that sent you in a different direction? What were the catalysts? So it depends how far you want to go back, but, I mean, I'll give you a couple of really powerful ones. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was a school kid, I was very lucky. There was a woman who was a teacher very strong female role model for me. And she basically said, you can be prime minister if you want. She said, Mm. you can do anything. Don't ever limit yourself. And she had such a profound effect on me, that lady. And that particular moment, it it sticks with me. I can visually remember the exact conversation. I think that point where one, the Smyrna Vodka account, when I was very young and made that decision that I was going to stay in Asia and build this career. It you were a very huge... young woman then. I was, I was 21. Yeah. I mean, I was a baby and it took a huge amount of courage and all the people I was working with were a lot older than me. You know, this wasn't a graduate training program. I was like responsible for this massive budget and I'd sold a dream to the Asian marketing director of Smirnoff that mm. we could do this fashion show thing. And, you know, I mean, it was hysterical. We won the business off Saatchi and Saatchi. Yeah, no. uh, it was well, like, having observed I, you in action, Jodie, I'm not surprised. You are a bit of a force of nature, I must say. Very funny. <laughs> so that, that was important. I think having my twins and realising six months into that, working as hard as I was with the babies being really honest with myself and saying, this isn't 
the sort of mother I want to be and I'm going to make a big choice here and we sold my husband and I sold both of our respective companies and moved to Australia and I met you which was Mm. incredible I guess actually another one was when I was in investment banking I can remember I woke up one morning and I was looking in the mirror and I'd been I think I'd had angry dreams and I was exhausted and and I looked in the mirror and I thought I just I don't want to be this person Mm. Well, I think that's something a lot of women experience and makes them think, actually, I'm this person now and if I look above me, there are a lot of people I'm working for who are living this horrid life that I'm now experiencing for the first time and that's not the life I want for myself, which often makes them take a step back and say, I want to live my life differently. Yeah, you know, my my mother, who you know very well, but she's been a profoundly strong impact on my life and, and again, another really strong female role model. And, you know, she said to me from a very, very young age, Joe, this isn't a dress rehearsal. Mm. So whenever I was questioning could I do something or whatever, she was just like, go for it. And I I think that having that self-belief is difficult, I think, for women and having that self-belief to leave, to make the big choices where you say, actually, this isn't, I'm not being true to myself, I'm not being the person I want to be, and I'm going to make a change. It is very hard working with you on the Great Barrier Reef Foundation and where I sort of felt like I was I was starting to, to evolve this idea of a sort of a coaching, consulting sort of relationship, this kind of dynamic where we were kind of building something together but I could bring some of my experience but kind of use it to provoke, like beyond the marketing stuff, I could use it to provoke you and, and we, I don't know, we just worked really well together. Well, we did. Um, I mean, I don't think we, it was a funny thing. I've thought about it myself. You know, it's not like we sat at adjacent desks and no. beavered away. You sat wherever you were at the time and I sat where I was in my office. But we both, you shared my vision And you brought your skills. I mean, I was very keen to think big and go into the world of international philanthropy and business to raise money. And you, because of your background, you were totally qualified and equipped to hear that vision and say, okay, I can help you with that. I didn't actually realise I was being coached at the time, but I learned a lot along the way, Jodie, and we really, we were really onto something there. That was, they were big dreams, but I didn't for a de- I didn't for a minute think, oh my God, we're out of our depths. I thought I felt very safe having you by my side. And I think that, that that was a really big learning curve for me, but I got a lot of confidence from that. And I suppose that's really what a coach does it empowers someone to get on and do the thing that they're capable of doing but give them the security to feel that they're not actually on their own exactly no absolutely I mean it was crazy the vision and the dream but super exciting given that the premise of unpaused is that there are women out there who are very well qualified who are quite experienced and who have for whatever reason whether it's to have children or to look after people or because they've looked looked beyond where they are now and not liked what they've seen they have withdrawn from the workforce and they're suddenly placed in this dilemma of thinking well I can't do nothing I've got so much to give but 
I don't know how to get back in. One reason I was very keen to talk to you, Jodie, was that in a lot of ways you're probably talking to not necessarily women who've left, but to women who are thinking differently about what their futures might be. And also because you've sort of lived that your career path in a way has not been linear by any stretch of the imagination. You've done quite a few things and they logically have led you to this point. But you couldn't have said at 20, that's where I'm going to be at 45, could you? No, absolutely not. I think that the difference in from when we started working to the workplace today you know, the average period of time of someone in a job is like, you know, five minutes mm. as opposed to when we were there and it was like do three years minimum. So I think that the workplace has changed enormously. I mean, it's unrecognisable when of when we started work. But, yes, look, this issue around women at work, I've had my own experience of it. I bring a lot of that into the coaching that I do. We do a lot of work with women in large corporations who might, um, a really common thing that we do is when women go off on maternity leave, we coach them to get back into work. Because one of the things they have to realise is they're not the same, they're not in the same headspace, they're not the same person Mm. going back into this role. And um, they need to kind of appreciate that and, and, and sort of give themselves space to work out who am I now going back into this company because it's changed. Mm. And we do a lot of leadership development work in groups, in teams for women and just for senior senior executives that includes a lot of women. So it is something that is on my radar and I've got some pretty strong feelings about it. Yeah. Because I, I sort of, I feel, I feel a bit conflicted in how society is dealing with it at the moment actually. And I think that um, some of the messages that we need to be really cultivating. So, okay, if I if I think about um, a few things that that I think aren't quite right at the moment in how we're balancing the gender equality mm. in the workplace. So, for a start, I think it's quite antiquated in how we look at impacting getting more women promoted in organisations. So they do things like they get a bunch of high potential women and they ask me to come in and do a leadership program for them. Mm. Well, that's actually just isolating them. Mm. And actually what I'd like to see more of is leadership programs that specifically look at and are designed, and this is what I do now, designing leadership programs where you get the dialogue happening about what are the strengths of the diversity of a man and a woman and how do we make that work and how do we support each other to be successful because one of the things that I think you know it's been a long time and I was looking at some of the statistics of how women are progressing in the workplace and the gender equality topic and there's been a huge amount of progress but it's slow Hmm. and I think, you know, Einstein said it, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. Mm. I think we are doing this too much in a way that is a bit, it's old-fashioned. And I think we need to look at how do we unlock this dialogue across an organisation with men and women together. There's too much of a conversation around it not being fair and it not being right as opposed to the solution how do we, what's the benefit 
of bringing the women to a higher level of management and leadership. Do you think that there is a sense growing, though, that women who are on the outside Mm. are going to be needed? They are going to need to effectively re-engage with some of them if they are ever to meet the gender equality targets that have been set. As I understand it, the World Economic Forum has said that if we just keep on doing what we're doing, business as usual, which is making small amounts of progress, admittedly, but it will still take another 170 years to get parity in the workplace. So business as usual isn't going to work. There's obviously a lot of talent out there that is not being engaged. If I think of my own life, taking 15 years off to have a family when I'd been, you know, I'd had a law degree, I'd been admitted to the bar, I'd done the equivalent of articles of clerkship in case I wanted to flip over to the solicitor's side. So, you know, a lot had been invested in my education and training. And I went home and did nothing other than things that I made happen. I mean, it was just an incredible waste of a resource. And I think that this is being increasingly talked about, that you can't just disengage with these people. It's bad economics. We are never going to get the benefits that we could harvest from the investment we've made if we just ignore these people and and don't in some way bring them back into the fold. If all you did was re-engage some of the women who left for whatever reason and address their concerns, which I would have thought is a role that an executive coach would be brought in to manage, then it's just a hugely wasted opportunity. I totally agree with that. Um, I think what puts women off is their confidence and the belief that they can't cut it, yeah? Mm. Yeah, they lose um, their confidence. And the longer you stay out, the less yeah. confident you, you become. Yeah. So, and, and there's a really interesting report done on where they analysed a, a whole bunch of people, just executives, in boardroom conversations. They taped them and statistically a woman something like 70 or 80% of the time before we open our mouth in a mm. meeting environment we make some sort of apology yeah. before we say what yeah. we're going to say it's incredible so that self belief thing and coaching can absolutely help that and it's we focus too much on a negative narrative about ourselves rather than looking at what are our strengths How do I bring value to an organisation and what do I need to succeed? You know, they're the three things I get women trying to think about, or not just women, men as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think then one of the big challenges I see of women in organisations is that they're trying to be like someone else and they become unrecognisable. If they do try and be more like a man in business to succeed, Mm. they become unrecognisable to themselves. Mm. They often become unrecognisable to the men in the company. They don't know how to deal with this woman who's being Mm. overtly aggressive or whatever, Mm. and they become unrecognisable to the other women in the organisation. So they're not a role model and they're not helping the other women. And I see this all the time. And these poor women, women have kind of created this persona of who they Mm. think they need to be as a leader to succeed. They have been successful, but at a cost that is huge to themselves and is 
absolutely not progressing the gender equality debate. When you encounter those women, how do you, you're obviously what you see is what you get and your authenticity is a core value of you and your business. So how do you actually deconstruct those women and help them to find a way through to become more, more comfortable in their own skin and more confident about the fact that they're female and that they have unique attributes which are valuable? Exactly. And they feel incredibly lonely and as do a lot of the men in those roles as well. Yeah. And this is the thing is that a lot of these issues I'm talking about are as relevant for men as they are women. Hmm. But if we can solve them for women, it will bring those numbers up into yeah. the more senior level positions. I mean, the whole point of coaching is you create this safe space where people can say, I bloody hate myself. Mm. or I feel completely dissatisfied by my career. And, you know, generally they're coming in with one of those headline statements and then we just deconstruct it. Mm. And then you really do literally go back to those simple foundations of what are your strengths, what gives you energy, what do you enjoy, how do you bring value to an organisation and what do you need to succeed, how do you ask for what you need to succeed. Mm. So it's going back and helping them reconstruct who they want to be. Behaviour change is not a, a vast thing. You know, that's why coaching, I typically do um, six three-hour sessions over nine to 12 months. It's just step by step. Just And, and I, I, the other thing that, that I think is important to understand with coaching and with behaviour change is, one, it's not whole scale. You're never going to make whole scale change with someone. What you can do is you can create a five to 10 degree shift. And to me, that great coaches understand that. And also that being the best version of yourself is about maximizing your strengths, mm. not just stopping some, you know, negative behavior that you've mm. got. Mm. And I think people in general don't understand that enough, that actually it can be as powerful to do more of what you do well mm. than it is to change something that you're not doing well. Yes. So, Jody. In that sense, I mean, you mentioned when you were a young woman that you had a great role model in that teacher. Obviously, yeah. that woman who employed you in Hong Kong on spec, mm. you know, she obviously had a significant influence on you. I am really struggling to find the great role models for the women that I'm talking about. And is there anyone that you hold up to your clients as a woman who has not just done well herself, but left a legacy or a trail of positive uh, behaviours behind her that, uh, that, that can inspire others. Is there anyone who I'm, sort of jumps off the page? Yeah, look, I'm inspired by a lot of women in politics today. I find Angela Merkel an incredible role model for, for women. I found Michelle Obama incredibly mm. inspiring. As much as Hillary Clinton was divisive, there's a lot about her as a woman that I think deserves deep respect. What I think we're not doing enough of, and I think it's exactly why you can't name them, is we're not celebrating enough. Yeah progress that's been made. So if I was to say, okay, what are the big changes that I'd like to see in society? So we need to continue to have strong women in politics. And the trend is definitely there of getting more and more women in politics. Um, so we need to continue that and, and, and really encourage it because women leading countries is a good thing. Mm -hmm. There's no balance about that. Mm -hmm. 
we need to change the headlines. It's as recent as 2007 when the gender equality duty came in in the UK where it basically made it unlawful to discriminate against women in the workplace. Mm. That was only in 2007. And yet there is actually a huge amount of progress that's being made. So I'd love to see that being talked about more. Mm. I'd love to see the way companies approach it being more of a cultural thing rather than let's stick a bunch of women in a room and tell them they're great because I'm mm. not sure that it works on its own. Mm. I think it needs to be a bigger conversation in the organisation. We need to be profiling the value that women bring and, and why they're different. Let's celebrate the fact that men and women are different and it's mm. good. Mm. You know, I, I really strongly believe that. And and then I think, and this is controversial, but I think that there is a whole lot of stuff that we need to dismantle some stereotypes at home and socially. Mm. You know, we call little girls bossy, you mm. know. We call little boys tough and strong. Mm. Uh, and, you know, that bossy word continues in. When you hear a woman getting negative feedback at mm. a senior level, they say, oh, she's really bossy. I think that we need to start to dismantle it in the schools, at home, and I think that's happening, mm. but we need to put more emphasis on that because we need this change where we're talking about the stick of saying, okay, we need to have X number of women CEOs in FTSE 100 companies and Fortune 500 companies by 2025. It's great and it's necessary, but that alone is not going to create sustainable change. I think dismantling gender stereotypes socially, a workforce approach that is much more cultural-based, and I think celebrating success because I think actually unless we start seeing positive progress, people will lose energy around it. I think all of the points are very well made, but I think that third point about celebrating success, and, and I would add to that documenting the milestones yeah. because otherwise you come off an achievement and you just get on with the next thing. It's never enough. You know, we yeah. set ourselves these ridiculous goals and I'm as guilty of it as anybody. Those two things about, you know, actually documenting it so that it's not forgotten and it's acknowledged yeah. and also that you just don't leap straight into the next thing. You take the time to say we to did recognize. well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And in Learn. The I think the other thing that's happening, which I think we really need to profile more, where a lot of women are going is entrepreneurial. Yeah. So all statistics that you see are about this obsession with C-suite, you know, the, the pay gap yep. at rector level. But actually a lot of women are saying, stuff that, I don't want to work for a multinational yep. and be CEO. I can go and setting up my own business mm. and, you know, have the flexibility I want. Mm. There are 8 to 10 million women owning small to medium enterprise in the UK. Mm. You know, that's a big statistic. There are more men doing it, but the number of women setting up successful small to medium enterprise is growing really, really rapidly. And so I think that is where a lot of them are going. And the tragedy is they're actually saying to the multinationals, sorry, you've, you've missed the boat. I'm taking my creativity, my passion, 
my emotional intelligence elsewhere. <laughs> it's a bit of a vicious circle, Jodie. I mean, I think that one of the reasons why they opt out is because they don't like the way you've got to live when you do progress. So there is a virtuous circle there. If yeah. you made the way that you work a little bit less harsh, a little bit more forgiving, which is what everyone really wants because everyone, it's not just women dropping out to mind children. I mean, now I can see it with my own children. The guys do a lot of the parenting now in a way yep. that they didn't a generation ago and certainly didn't two generations ago. It's much more equal. Also, there's a lot more pressure on both parties to work to manage the mortgage and the overheads of living in a big city and educating a couple of kids. So this, the sense I get is that women are looking at what it looks like to work in a high-performance job in a big company or a big professional firm or a big business and going, actually, for the energy that I would expend there, I would prefer to do it on my own terms in a much smaller environment where I've got some flexibility to do the things that I feel I must do as a human. And I must say, I think that this is being picked up at the policy level but maybe not so much, just because it's a very hard thing to accommodate at a business level. There's going to be a trade-off. But I think that from what I'm reading, there is a definite recognition that it's okay to want to live a more balanced life. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. In fact, it's insane not to. And I know we've all looked at people who've come to the end of their working life and have made so many poor decisions in a personal sense and yeah. end up with absolutely no relationship with their partner, no relationship with their children, and they really suddenly realise, oh, my God, I've stuffed up. You yeah. know, it's just not yeah. worth it. That more entrepreneurial life is very interesting. I think it is, and I think that you're also seeing a new breed of company um, that's emerging. And it's interesting, I do a huge amount of work with Danone, which is a very purpose-driven organisation. Their purpose is health through food to as many people as possible. And they have 100,000 employees uh, globally and they are committed to flexible ways of working, to paternity leave policy that's really supportive. Um, loads of my clients in director level or even less than director level, if people, you know, want to do a four-day week and or, or want to work from home one day a week or yeah. want to pick up the kids two days a week or yeah. all of that is possible. And I think Danone has been really smart in recognising yeah. that if you have a millennial and what is now entering the marketplace, which is Generation Z, if you have a workforce from that group or cohort, you're just not going to keep them if you don't have a more flexible approach to yeah, it. Yeah, I know. It's just good business. woman who's taken an extended leave of absence and who yeah. wants to get back in if you had to give her one piece of advice in terms of gearing up what would you say to her what would be the one or two things you would tell her to focus on in order to you know start the journey back to work well the first thing I would say is if you can afford it get a coach because I think it gives you the right environment to think about it if you can't, then I think you need to 
verbalize or put it on paper if you haven't got someone you can talk to put it on paper on one side all the things that are worrying you about going back to work mm. get it out of your head all of this imposter syndrome I'm going to be found out I'm not good mm. enough yeah all of that put it on paper and and recognize that half of it's bollocks it's not true it's just messages that you're telling yourself yeah. then put on paper what are my strengths? How do I add value to other people, to an organisation? And what do I need to succeed? Mm. And, and, and what do I enjoy? Like, you know, if you're doing what you enjoy, you are much more likely to be successful at it. Mm. But I think particularly when you've had children and you're managing a house and, and even though the guys are stepping up and being much more co-parenting, which is fantastic, it's still a lot. You're still the mum. You, mm. you can't change that. It's biology. You're mm. the mum. Mm. And so there's a lot that you're juggling. So I think just putting on a piece of paper, um, you know, what is it that I'm worrying about? And then what is it that are really my strengths? What do I enjoy? And how do I bring value? Because mm. value is a very different thing, mm. yeah, rather than my skills. Mm. I think are very antiquated it's much more about how can I bring value to an organization today mm. in the whole of me everything I'm good at all mm. of my experience thanks for listening I hope you enjoyed this episode of unpaused I'd love you to subscribe on iTunes or share the podcast with someone you think might like it you can find the show notes or sign up for news on my website, unpaused.net, or see what we're up to on Instagram or my LinkedIn page. Bye for now.